Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade film movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm all shook up. Oh boy. See, I would have taken you more to be like a hunk of hunk of burning love. No, I'm not a hunk of hunk of burning love. You know, actually, I'm a softie. I like. um, You're a love me tender kind of man. No, no, no. I, I like Suspicious Minds, but also I don't know the name of the other one. It's the one they sing at the end. Um, oh, Unchained Melody? Maybe. Whatever one they sing at the end. I, I like that okay. one, too. I, I, yeah. I kind of like the more ballady. Yeah. You know. Oh, he, he can, he can and I'm, and I'm And I'm Will Johnson, by the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> As we bury the intro, this from, like... Yeah, yeah. If you yeah. couldn't tell from my horrible Elvis impression, I'm not a good actor like Austin Butler is. But go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. and and I hope that people who are listening to the episode clicked the title that said Elvis, or be like, they're the guy talking about Elvis movies and songs and stuff. They still talk. Yeah. So yeah, we're here to talk about Elvis, and our format is this: the recommending lover is going to go first. And for this episode, we have the return of a special guest, Katie Glidewell, the blonde in front. Say hi to everybody, Katie. Hi, everybody. <laughs> She is here to give her five unearthed minutes to shower her praise and state her high-minded case first. The haters or semi-lovers will follow with their own five minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. After that, we'll open it up for six and a half hours of shared conversation and uh, Baz Luhrmann director's cuts where the hissy fit really gets chippy and hyper frenetic. So it's going to be good. So I don't have a cool of line to just say, let's go, but let's go. Katie Glidewell, welcome back to the show. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we always love to have you on. Um, You actually give us most of our ideas now because um, (laughs) I'll talk to you on the DM or whatever. Um, I'm not sliding in anyone's DMs, people. I don't even know what that means. I'm old. Uh, I just talked to her on the direct message. And um, you'll always be like, hey, we should do this, and we should do that, and we should do this. And I'm just like, well, let's just replace Don and have you run the show. I mean, that would be so much better. So Never, 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 never. But that is very sweet. And, yes, I do enjoy our DM conversations because if I'm going to talk about a number of films, especially categories uh, that I know both you and Don, um, mm-hmm. we've all three have discussed before, I – I love them. I love to speak um, about them with you because I know you guys are always going to have insightful commentary and always respectful in every aspect of it. And that is something oh. that I, I wow. And wow, honestly, she is love. really overselling Thank you guys it. Thanks for having me as a guest. Yeah. Wow. The, the check will you be in the what? mail That's, next uh... week, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I might have transcribed one of the numbers on your address. So if you don't get it, let me know. Uh, the right, check, right. The check is on its way. Thank Correct. You. Yeah, I remember that's blonde with an E, and mm, I like correct. the money. I take the money that jingles, but I like the money that folds. So thanks, well, we guys. Have, we have Small established bill. in our last episode, we have established in oh. our last episode, if it is the last episode or it's a future episode. If it's a future episode, spoiler. If it's a past episode, yay. Um, <laughs> Katie, would t- Katie would take all the money in the world over all the knowledge in the world for a very good ah. reason, and I agree with her. But so – some of that money is going to you now for saying such nice things about us. Oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> Look at that. Teacher salary, I, so don't expect that much. Yeah, exa- yeah, <laughs> yeah. The fold, small bills, right. folding ones. Yeah, correct. Yes, very yeah. small bills. Um, Katie, please go ahead, and you are our guest. You're going to go first. 
Give us your five-ish minutes on Elvis. It will be five. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to say that this wise woman um, once said that, yes, you should go see Elvis. Directed by Baz Luhrmann and starring Austin Butler, Tom Hanks, and Olivia DeYoung. Um, DeYoung. I'm going to spoil it right off the bat because I feel like this was something that I wish that I knew when I went into this. Tom Hanks plays Colonel Tom Parker. One, he is not a colonel. Two, his name is not Tom Parker. And three, you need to know going into this that he's going to sound like Colonel Clink and not Boss Hogg. That was something that I was not expecting when the movie starts. Uh, So just... Be prepared because it was a bit jarring. This is a two hour and 39 minute movie. So honestly, 40 minutes in, you forget about it. But it it takes a little bit um, to um, getting getting into it when you're watching the film. The other aspect of it that I thought was very interesting and a little bit brave is that you're having a biopic told from the antagonist point of view. Uh, that's something that you don't normally see because, spoiler again, Colonel Tom Parker isn't the best person. Uh, and you see that right off the bat when uh, Elvis is going to performance. He faints. Uh, the colonel tells him to get the doctor, put adrenaline in him, and get that man on stage. You then have the whirlwind of Boz Lerman with uh, just, I mean, the overlapping scenes, the music. Everything that makes Baz Luhrmann, Baz Luhrmann. That is the first 45 minutes. Um, uh, Elvis's past, his um, birth, growing up, you know, everything his parents had to go through. It's a little daunting if you're not used to that. I am fine with it. And I actually like the way um, just puts you, puts the audience in a tailspin, especially on the big screen and everything he does. But it is, it, it can be much for a number of people. And for me, I was fine. Uh, but one of the things about this film that I think is so absolutely amazing is the production design, costume, and makeup. Catherine Martin, who is married to Boz Lerman, that is a match made in heaven. And Boz, I mean, I know you love this woman, but damn, you are lucky that you have her because this movie is just absolutely stunning with how accurate they make these costumes, the set designs everything well i mean she's in charge of the uh i know the costuming and and at least the costuming i'm not sure about the production design but it honestly you i've seen photographs i've seen stills of elvis in these different situations with even with the archival footage that they take i you honestly i could not tell which is which which was uh, modern day and which is archival because it is so accurate uh olivia de young who plays priscilla presley is just um dainty and determined and she is a dynamo as you know elvis's um main girl uh tom hanks is just i mean he plays he plays the part i mean this is not a good guy and you see this it's sad to see you know someone trust someone who obviously had no good intentions for him whatsoever other than to make money and but it's also one of those things that when you don't have the education or no one around you who's educated to know what's going on you're just going to trust whoever's um there to trust and at least sam phillips who worked with sun records 
I mean, he wanted Elvis to go farther that he knew he could um, um, put him, which that's why he put him, you know, said, go with Parker because he's going to at least get you where um, places that I can't go. But it's, I just wish that in certain circumstances, especially when you see this in films about people coming from nothing and then um, getting taken advantage of, it's like, it's just finding that person, people that you can trust and paying them. And I know that um, from this pick, they just didn't see, or they didn't allow Elvis to have that, or Elvis just didn't have that. I mean, he has Memphis Mafia, which basically made Graceland look like, you know, there's cars on wheels or without wheels on the front lawn. And I mean, it was, it was country. It's what they had. I mean, you have everyone around him, but the main thing about this film that everyone should know, it's on the posters. He's everywhere. Austin Butler, that is the star of the film. That is the, I mean, he just channels Elvis in a way that I've never seen before. His body movements, his singing, his fate. I mean, everything about him from start to finish, even at the end when um, Elvis meets his demise, it is absolute perfection. I think his performance, I don't think he overdoes it. I don't think he does a caricature. I think he really embodies Elvis. Um, and I know looking at interviews from Cannes and different areas, that's what Priscilla um, and Lisa Marie say too, that this is the first time that they've actually seen someone portray Elvis in the way that he actually was. Uh, who knows how much of this is actually real, you know, and obviously it's glamorized in certain ways, but I don't think they don't make Elvis to be, you know, an absolute angel. And I think that is very, very important because he was not. I mean, he definitely had drug um, issues, but he also had infidelity issues, uh, especially with someone who's married and has a young child and who's who is married to a very young person. <coughs> because Priscilla was 14 when they met. That's a little controversy. Uh, very much so. And then she was 18 when they got married. I think this is a film that people should experience on the big screen. Obviously, I mean, it is a kaleidoscope um, on the big screen. And Boz Lerman, I think, is the only person who could have done this. And I recommend it as I start to lose my voice. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no way that was five wow. minutes. No way. No way. It's awesome. I wasn't gonna stop her. Was that five? I doubt it's like twelve uh, and a half. Sure. <laughs> I sure. <laughs> yeah. It's an English five. Yeah, totally. We're just yeah. English five. Yeah, 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 totally. Imperial pint, you know, no problem. <laughs> hey, just for your notes, you're right. Catherine Martin, his wife, she is uh she did do the double duty when it comes to costumes and production, and she is a four time Oscar winner where she's won the yes. double production design, costume design from Moulin Rouge and Greg Gatsby mm. and well-deserved on both films. So, oh yeah, she's, she's wonderful. And you're right. Baz Luhrmann is and out kicking his coverage with her. Yeah, I can, <laughs> I can see her um, definitely being nom nominated, if not the front runner for both of those this Agreed. season too. Cause honestly, Agreed. just a smorgasbord for the eyes. We'll yeah. talk about that later, but I was, I was just curious. You don't think it's too early in the year to start getting recognized for that? No, not no, at all. We, I've we, been we saying the that, same on, yeah. yeah. Everything, everywhere, all at once. We were sitting okay. here kind of prognosticating, you know, editing, things like that. I, th I think you have frontrunners that come through, especially during blockbuster season. I think there's always 
a film or two that, yeah, it might not be the artsy thing from November, but it's a standout. And this movie in those departments right. sure. is a standout. Will, I see the same thing about Batman, up, too. I think Batman has a chance of um, agreed with a number of Oscar nominees, but I think production design and costuming, too. Yeah, and arts sure. and technical, I, I, it definitely has a shot. I can get by on that. All right. Um, I'm going to get my stopwatch. <laughs> so, all right. Okay. Elvis. Elvis, Elvis. I, I, I admit I'm not a, um, like, a connoisseur of Elvis. I don't know. I know the big hits. I know bits and pieces of his life like you would through any icon that it has such dramatic iconic imagery to him um i also as i was telling don before the show like it's just kind of serendipitous i saw the movie today so um uh that i'm reading a book by david halberstam called the 50s it's his exhaustive history of the united states in the 1950s and the chapter i just started today is on elvis so i'm getting some interesting perspectives because uh his take the author david halberstam if any of you have ever heard of him he's a fantastic Pulitzer Prize winning historian, uh, you know, uh, and uh, he's written many great books, but uh, his is more historical. It's more, it's less emotional. It's very matter of fact. And, uh, you know, obviously depending on where his sources are, I haven't backtracked the sources and stuff like that. His is, it's not an unflattering look, but in terms of a lot of the things this movie does, it's very different. Uh, this movie is romanticizing the music elements of Elvis's career, which makes sense. He's a musician. Um, and there may be some, you, you know, us, me and Don, we're not like woke people. We don't believe in that kind of stuff. I have had issues with music in the past in movies. If you remember our La La Land episode, I'm not a fan of that movie because I have major issues with the white saviorism of that movie a little bit. That's about as woke as I'll go. I'm not going to go there with this movie because I think that it, by acknowledging Elvis's homages to black culture, uh, it pays respect to it. So it's not going to paint him in a bad light and say that he stole ideas, you know, uh, but it, it, it's a little bit more matter of fact. It's like, yeah, you've got someone like B.B. King who makes incredible music, but it's not going to sell because he's black. And that was a sign of the times. This movie spends a lot of great time giving black artists their due. So I really enjoyed that part because it was like, you wouldn't have Elvis without this. And that was really cool. Um, not since I'm going to get some of my criticisms out of the way because I gave this four and a half stars. It's currently sitting as my number four movie of the year behind Dr. Strange two and in front of everything everywhere all at once. Um, my two gripes of the film, uh, as Katie mentioned, not since Jack Nicholson in Hoffa, Am I confused on whether an actor is doing a bad uh, voice impression or a good one? Um, if anyone remembers Danny DeVito's Hoffa with Jack Nicholson, his accent in that movie, his voice is so insane. You're not sure if it is a good thing or a bad thing. I feel the same way about Tom Hanks in this one. Sometimes it's distracting. Sometimes it's not. It is Tom Hanks. He's a top shelf actor. So I think he can push through it but it does take about 10 minutes for you to kind of get over the, the uh the voice in this one um my other gripe is i i know katie mentioned some things about priscilla presley outside of or the actress who plays priscilla presley 
outside of the two leads, uh, and I'll also give a shout out to David Wenham. We were talking about Lord of the Rings off the air. He has a small role in this, and he's excellent, as always, uh, in everything he does. Uh, but other than um, Tom Hanks and Austin Butler, is that his name, Austin Butler? I get that right? Um, yeah. Those those performances are superb. Uh, Austin and, and what Katie was talking about, how you can't tell when the archival footage ends and Elvis begins, there's actually a scene at the end where they show his final performance. And there are times when I'm like, am I watching Austin Butler or am I watching stock footage of Elvis? I can't tell the difference. That is a sign of a good performance. Um, Though it is also incredible that um, at times Austin Butler looks like Val Kilmer too, which was throwing me off a little bit because uh, Val Kilmer also played Elvis in True Romance, but that's neither here nor there. But my, my main point is, I was left very cold by the rest of the cast. I couldn't tell the difference between a lot of them. I got no emotional substance from any of them. Um, I didn't feel anything like, especially Elvis's crew. They're not fleshed out. They all look the same. I couldn't tell the difference between producers. I think it's the only weakness in this film. Other than that, uh, the reason why I gave it such high praise is because when you have a character like Elvis, who is a personality and is a spectacle in himself. You need a director and a film that has personality and has spectacle. And I am kind of love hate on Baz Luhrmann. Um, I did not like Moulin Rouge. I did like Romeo and Juliet sort of um, his style is not my favorite, but this one, it suited perfectly. I think it was a well-balanced movie, well edited, well acted from the main leads uh, production design is perfect. Costume design is perfect. Uh, all the flourishes that a Baz Luhrmann is going to give you fit this character perfectly. And um, that's why I think it's one of the best films of the year. Nicely done. I went a little no, over. I, oh, I wasn't same thing. I wasn't going to time you either. So, yeah, no. Um, I Actually, guess I I'm in the. Did. What? I, did, I didn't time him. No, I, I think I'll you let, were right at like I think you were right at like five minutes three seconds. Honestly, there you go. All right, all right. well, hey. yeah, that's what I'm known for. <laughs> five minutes, good job, buddy. Five minutes or less, baby. That's me. <laughs> oh boy. Well, for something oh, that isn't yeah. five minutes, it's this 159 minute movie, and I'll throw my five minutes and get rolling to segue from you know speedy things to long things. Um, yeah, this is 159 minutes that's a track meet. So, yeah, it's um, there's something about this movie where, um, it's 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 a lot. You know, uh, I call it yeah, you know, I call it in my review like there's a delirium that comes with this where this is kind of like an opus of exhaustion. Where, you know, and that's kind of Boz Lerman and I'm, you know, and that's kind of how he plays and that's what he likes to do. And this is a subject that can match that and, and fits that, as you said, Will. And uh, and th but this is a, a little bit of a fever dream that kind of because of the unreliable narrator that is Hanks um, kind of veers from being a bit of a campfire fable to kind of a therapy session. And it's as gaudy as its subject. And um, there's kind of a point where because it's so long and because it's a lot going on. Um, you kind of don't just succumb to Lerman's kind of trademark visual and, you know, and, or an aural excess you, because it's Elvis Presley and goodness gracious, it's Elvis Presley. You submit to it. And that's kind of where I was at, where 
first 90 minutes of the movie, I'm like, man, this is a lot. We're, we're just speeding through lots of things. And, we, you know, where is it all going to go? Where is it all going to end? And the midway point in this movie, you kind of hit that, um, you hit that 1968 comeback special where he kind of, for a second there, you think he's kind of going to kind of shuck off kind of Colonel Tom Parker, grab kind of a new direction to his tone and self, his confidence, his career. He steps on that stage in the black leather and he kind of cancels a Christmas special to kind of do a throwback special. And my goodness, it's a beautiful, um, you know, mid climax piece. That's kind of a, you know, behind the scenes recre uh, recreation of, of that special right around the time that Martin Luther King died. And you see, you see him kind of, become see himself as more mature more respecting where he comes from he's kind of been burnt out by the by the machinations and puppeteering of hanks and my goodness when austin butler shows up in that scene with the the midway point that that comeback special and the black leather and the christmas um i just see a new attitude that was presented up to that point in the film not just from butler but also from lerman and it that's a big saving grace for the movie for me, because I think if it was pedal to the metal split screen fever dream stuff and a lot of Tom Hanks kind of, you know, pouring the snake oil the whole time, I would have got real tired of that. Now, it still kind of devolves in that direction. And you if you know your Elvis is going to, you know, it's, it's a tragic ending. Dude, that dude died at 42 and and in Las Vegas, while being a peak of engagement and performance for the guy, it's still kind of a place where. You know, it's still the the place where it all fell apart as, as much as it all rose up in a, in, a, in a gracious big high. So, you know, we're going to a tragic place and you know, it's going to kind of drive off the rails. But, you know, almost in a Denis Villeneuve way, we'll get a kick out of this. I could have done without 37 different establishing shots of the Vegas sign and the Graceland flyover and the drone work here and there where. I, and I know that that's Lerman immersing us in atmosphere, but there's a tighter film here that still doesn't lose an emotional beat, still focuses on a lot of where this character is. And honestly, and I know this is kind of where he uses Hanks and, and Hanks is your big hitter and you bring him in for that reason, you know, to tell the story a little differently through villain. And I can, I can accept that to kind of break out, break away from some of the biopic tropes that are, that are out there. But I feel like when you have Austin Butler out there doing, you know, his, his better than able best to convey this character, let him talk, let him have, let, let's see more of him and where his mindset is. And whereas instead of the, the, the manipulation of Parker, and I think there's honest to say it, there's too much Tom Hanks in this movie for me where, you know, and I, and I get that you can't tell this story without him, but at the same time, I don't feel like that had to be the framing device for it. You can soften that or, or have that be a background character, not a co-lead. And, where I, I, yeah, I wanted more of Austin Butler because, man, when he's doing his thing, he's electric. I mean, the charisma coming out of that guy, and he's an Aussie. Like, I hear him in the PR junket interviews of this movie with his blonde hair and his accent, and I'm like, how in the hell did he pull out the drawl, the, the, the body language, the tics? And it's a masterful performance from the young kid where I, I can't deny where he's at. If you want to play leader in the clubhouse for best actor right now, I, I would agree with that and, and fall in line with all that. But, Man, oh man, I there's just as as much as I am submitting to the the love of Elvis and the love of this subject because I, I I'm that person who not a connoisseur, but I know enough of Elvis where I super duper appreciate where this movie's going. I could do away with the Carney Snowman stuff and and get to just the dude and what makes him tick more than what makes the manipulation tick. And that's kind of where 
my knocks are for the movie. Um, I gave it three stars out of five. I was really tempted to write it up to four stars because of just the spectacle that is there is pristine. But I just get lost um, when there when there's not a great peak to show. I get lost in the minutia of the unreliable narrator and whatnot. So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, those are our three takes. Uh, please enjoy a short announcement from the Ruminations Radio Network while we come back and open up for full discussion. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Red Rum. All things horror, from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out. But hurry. The killer's behind you. All right, folks. Yeah, that's where we're at. Tell us how you feel about some things. And yeah, stretch it out. Um, morning, oh, I also want to give a shout out to... I want to give a shout out to uh, Gary Clark Jr., who is in this film at the beginning as kind of like the launching point for um, Elvis's um, intro into jazz and blues and things like that. Um, If anyone's seen Gary Clark Jr., uh, he's one of those uh, like blues rock and roll artists. Like when you listen to him, like on an album. It, he's more of like a live performer. Like it, it's almost like it's kind of like with Grateful Dead or Fish or something where they have to put out an album and they have songs on it. But like when you see them live, I saw Gary Clark Jr. Um, in the front row on the stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that guy is a maestro. I just so just seeing him in the movie playing guitar was uh, awesome. And uh, yeah, I also want to know who the guy was that played uh, Little Richard, because that was uh, I can look that, that up. Like, that just looking at the cast here for a second. Let me. That while, is while, Alton Mason. Who is that? Alton, Alton Mason, Mason played Little okay. Richard. Let's see what he's done. That was before. amazing. Too. They, yeah, I, I just yeah, I just want to give a shout out to the amazing performers in this movie. Like like I said, this movie gives a lot of um, love and respect to the blues genre. And uh, allows a lot of people to perform, and it's really beautiful, and I, I just love it. Yeah, I, I as as, and that's the thing that I also kind of back you will, where I don't really buy into or, or you know light up the t- torches and pitchforks for the cultural appropriation part because Elvis is born and raised in that. I mean, born and raised in those churches, yes. in those places where that's that's the classic product of your environment situation where okay, fine. He's white, but that's what he knows. That's what inspired him. That's what him got him going. And, you know, and it was wise enough and respectful enough to give credit where credit was due where he could and collaborate with the good people. And I, yeah, I right. love the relationship with BB King. I would have loved to get a little more of Kelvin Harrison Jr. Singing, because if you've seen the high note, Kelvin Harrison Jr. Can sing. Uh, and it'd be nice mm-hmm. to have a, a moment or two there, but I mean, the guiding presence of BB King from an actor like that was, was enough while you have Austin Butler, of course, blowing the doors off the place. You know, and, and I, I asked this question in one of our film groups and Katie, I'll, I'll, if you know the answer, please let me know. But the only thing I was curious about is like I said, I'm reading this history book and in that one, it kind of, you know, kind of mentions that, you know, he, he got a lot, Elvis got a lot of his, you know, sound and recording and, and some of the look, it was kind of a hybrid look between kind of um, the stylish black fashion at the time, as well as kind of a rebel, you know, uh, 
devil without a cause kind of thing oh, going like a, on. He's greaser uh, rebel without a cause. Yeah. Thing. So, you know, it, it, it acknowledges in the history book and acknowledges in this movie that he obviously was paying homage or borrowed from, you know, a lot of things to create his personality. What I don't know is what I've read in the history book is that he was not like as engaged in black culture, like this movie. And I'm not saying this is a criticism because I honestly don't know. I'm ignorant of it. Like in the movie, right. it shows him being very affected by Martin Luther King's death. And, um, you know, it shows him kind of hanging out with BB King and hanging out in all the jazz clubs and R and B clubs and stuff like that. And, um, whereas like a lot of things report that he just wasn't really into that scene. This movie seems to have him as like as a kindred spirit. Do you know if that yeah. is accurate? Like, was he part of that scene or was he just someone who benefited from, you know, taking elements of that scene and, and making it his own? I am not aware if he was part of that scene or not. Uh, what I do know is that I saw an interview uh, of Ray Charles and someone was asking uh, Ray Charles about Elvis. Ray Charles did not have very nice things to say about Elvis and actually talked about how uh, he stole a number of things from oh. people that he knew. And he's like, you know, I'm going to get, and he says in the interviews, like, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to trouble. It's like, but uh, you know, I thought Elvis was a punk and you know, that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, so it's, it was interesting to see the movie and then see that interview by Ray Charles, um, who, you know, was friends with BB King and little Richard and whatnot. But I, I mean, growing up in Memphis and if he went to Beale street, I would, I would assume it, it depends if how accurate it is with, you know, everything like where they lived and grew up, but yeah, I'm not, I don't know for sure. Um, any of that stuff I haven't read up. Yeah. And I, and I don't know, I'm not like a, everyone knows me. I'm more of a metal guy and I dabble in rap and hip hop and things like that. But I, I have noticed a lot of more contemporary artists say things. One of my favorite rappers uh, is most deaf, you know, also an actor. And he has a lot of, uh, a lot of songs mentioning how like the Rolling Stones and Elvis and stuff get all this praise, but they're really ripped off you know, the black man. And, and I've, I think Jay Z has said mm -hmm. some things about Elvis and things like that. So I was just curious because this film, like I said, it, it, I think Baz Luhrmann, the screenwriter and director is paying tribute to that music. Right. But it's also kind of making it seem like Elvis is like entrenched in that community. And I don't know if that is true, Yeah, and whether it is or not, I'm okay with it because like I said, the movie respects that respects where the music came from, what the origins of it were that they make no, they make no bones about it. They they show him being Elvis being enraptured with the blues mm -hmm. scene and then the Southern Baptist thing and all that stuff. So like it, it shows that that's where he got his influence. So there's no like historical yeah. inaccuracy. I just I'm just curious like if this film I God forbid I really don't want this to happen because I'm getting sick of this happening with every film. We talked about this with Lightyear, where there's always a fucking problem with everything. Right. But the, the, thing, the thing I do not want to see with this movie, if there is something that is egregious, I get it. Mention it, make up for it, say something. Right. But I, I am scared that this movie is going to go down the path of like, you know, we're going to cancel it because I, I don't get the green book feeling from this. I don't get no, like, I, I don't feel like this is green book where it's very disrespectful 
to a culture. Whereas like, you know, and right. cliff notesy version, this feels very respectable. So I'm worried that like, there's going to be this contingent that's going to come out and be like, well, this movie is racist or this movie is this and that. And it's going to be like, okay, look, that's, that's not the spirit of the mm-hmm. film. Like, yeah, if there's no. historical inaccuracy, that's fine. But I am really worried this movie is going to go through the juggernaut of the social machine and then we're going to have to give up on it or whatever. You know what I mean? I don't know. Do you, do but. you think that that's kind of where the Hank's character needs to be as like, Hey, we need to, rather than paint our hero that we're completely worshiping in the movie um, for the quote unquote villainous things that are possible about the guy that we need to present mm-hmm. and paint a bigger villain. That is that, that can kind of shield, you know, the hero we're trying to wear. Like, if this was a down yeah. and dirty Elvis biopic where we, you know, we uh, let it all hang out, you know, good, bad, horrible moments, this and that, um, where you, you right. know, that would be a, a rougher sell. Or if you, you know, did the BB key thing and you uh, unfortunately maybe oversold that role or influence and made him the magical Negro character that unfortunately does the green bookie kinds of level stuff. And um, mm-hmm. I wonder if the, I'm not saying it's like a Donald Trump level diversion, but like, I feel like Parker is there to downplay Elvis's flaws by putting his flaws forward. Yeah. You, Cause is that he, a nut? Is that a cover I, or do you get that vibe? No, I, think, I, I agree from a, from a screenwriting perspective. Yes. Because yeah. if there's another thing, this movie doesn't do a great job of in terms of Elvis himself, in terms of being honest, is like, they show him pop a pill here or there. They show him shoot a TV. They show him. <laughs> like it was the Dewey Cox version of drugs. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. It's 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 very cliff notesy in terms of like his bad parts. This is definitely a celebration of Elvis as opposed to yeah. a true biopic. But yes, I think that yeah, you have a clear villain in this, and that does steer things for you being sympathetic to mm-hmm. Elvis more than you would be like, well, because and I think you mentioned this, Katie, and correct me if I'm wrong here. And if you don't know this, I'm sorry. I'm not I know you're not the Elvis historian, but <laughs> they do make they, they do make a reference in the movie that like when I when I'm forty you're going to be thirty or whatever when I'm fifty you're going to be forty but I don't think it was just ten year gap right like she was a lot younger wasn't she For she yeah, was fourteen when they met and I believe eighteen when they got married and yeah he says it's like um when you're forty and I'm fifty we'll get back together. Uh, and that was, so I, yeah, I thought there was a 10 year age gap, um, at it's least cause quite he possible. was, yeah, he was, I thought it was a lot more, but they yeah, I think he was 20, I thought he was 24 close. when they met. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know. I'll do the math that, that's the other thing Fuck. is, and I, like I said, I don't want to, I, I guess I'm just finding criticisms of this movie cause I really enjoyed it. I really loved it, but yeah. I also thought that because of that hero worship of the character, like, you know, if you ever see pictures of Elvis in the last couple of years, I mean, it is, mm-hmm. it's almost like, like something you'd see out of like mad magazine where he's like, he's almost like comically obese, but he's still wearing yeah. the same clothes. And I would have liked to have seen just for the Austin Butler effect, because I mean, he does mm-hmm. such a great job of Elvis in his prime and he does a good job of Elvis kind of like stressed out and depressed. But I would have liked to have seen that physical transformation to see him be fat Elvis, for lack of a better term, and <laughs> see him like see that deterioration of what 
Now they do they do they do that for like one scene, but yeah. this is mostly a hero worship, like when he is still like functioning, uh, you know. Whereas like at the yeah. end he was, you know, he was slurring through everything and you know was just literally a mess. I mean, he died on the toilet. I mean, this guy was mm-hmm. not going in an upward trajectory. So I would have liked to see that from an acting perspective. I think when you guys are talking about prognostications for best actor, I think he's the shoe in for a nomination, but I right. think that lack of a transformation, physical transformation from a makeup perspective, that seems to be what the Oscars really like is like when someone goes out of their way to look bad, <laughs> you know, I Fair think wonder. he's too perfect in this. Yeah. One. You know what I mean? So I, I think that will be the thing that costs him the Oscar win is that we'd never mm. get to see him be like the grotesque Elvis. You know, right. he's always picture perfect Elvis and, and sure. I mean, an astounding performance. Do not get me wrong, yeah. but I'm trying to think along Academy lines, not logical. Well, lines. I mean, so, Academy's, Academy's been kind before and not all that long ago when Rami Malek never really gave you the worst of the worst of Freddie Mercury. I mean, they end, they end hit that arc true. on the peak of peaks. So, and gave Rami all the gold for sure. it. So there, there's kindness available when you play larger than life. Now I would have loved to see them do that for Tasman Edgerton a year later, but Hey, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, let's give, uh, let's give Katie the floor here. I've been talking way yes, too please. much. Katie, what are your, <laughs> give us some more, give us some more discussion points on Elvis. So, uh, they were 10 years apart. One, they got mm-hmm. married when she was 21. Uh, I believe, and I actually had a conversation with someone today regarding this who just watched Elvis. He also believed that um, Austin Butler is a shoe in for an Oscar nomination. I think he's definitely a contender. I think right now, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, regarding the Golden Globes, he's, he's, that's it. Like, just give it, give it oh, to for him musical now, comedy. Yeah, they, yeah. Yeah. For musical and comedy. I mean, done. Like, I mean, Did it's going to have to exist anymore. I, that's that. Well, and that's what I actually said. To, it's like, if the Golden Globes are still going on, I'm not sure. Uh, but I think regarding the transformation and whatnot, I mean, with, since this is supposed to be, is I don't know if it's necessarily a biopic considering it's told from someone else's perspective and you know uh mm. with the antagonist but I mean I yeah I you know I it is but hmm. uh I do agree with Don what Don said. I mean there is a lot of Tom Hanks in this and uh I wish there was a little bit more um Austin Butler, but I do love it when they finally bring him on stage and show the true power that Elvis had um, in just mesmerizing um, that yeah. crowd because he does the same thing with the audience. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you're just like, wow, what is this? Yeah, that Here's first a- Vegas concert is just eardrum-destroyingly awesome. Oh, man. Yeah, well, and the that's one great. in New York in black and white is just some yep. of the most beautiful uh cinematography that i've seen this year and if you've seen the stills uh if you've Mm -hmm. seen the photos from that actual performance i mean he mimics this elvis's um gestures the movements everything to a t like honestly it is just extremely impressive i mean this is a very very physical role 
Like it's yeah. not just the singing. It's like, it's the entire body that he's in that just that um, like amazing presence that he has on screen. That is something I do. I mean, you know, it, you know, like I said, with the um, archival footage at the end and you said it too, uh, it, it, I mean, he is a little overweight. It's not as much as kind of, I remember, but again, I don't remember him being 42. I just thought he was like, right. I don't know. I thought he was 10 years older for some reason. I don't know why mm -hmm. it's not, but I feel like 42 is really young considering he started and really only, it wasn't even um, that he was like really in the spotlight for 20 years and for him to, in the last five, for him to make that downfall. I also don't remember yeah. his, I thought they really skimmed over all of his movie career, which I felt like that was a True. more significant part of his life than it actually mm -hmm. um, was in the film. And that's what uh, the book I'm reading, like I said, it's not an Elvis book. It's a history of the fifties, but it's very detailed. It says that, you know, his motivation, I guess, through interviews or things he said was that his motivation in life, what well, music was kind of secondary to being in Hollywood. He wanted to be James Dean and Marlon Brando. Yeah. So I, I, I do see that, you know, uh, maybe uh, being a little different than the actual the actuality of what what happened. But um, I wanted to do a side note real quick, because what is Boz Lerman's relationship to Star Trek? Um, or I don't know if this is like a Tom Hanks thing, because because I <laughs> if you told me that I was going to be watching an Elvis biopic, right, or whatever we want to call it. Okay. And the first shot would be of the Hilton Star Trek experience in 1997, which was like my favorite place <laughs> on earth. And they would have okay. like seven establishing shots of that. And then also yeah. when they're doing the TV special, there's all these pictures of Star Trek in the studio that they're working at on CBS. I mean, I know it's yeah. CBS, but like Star Trek was not a ratings hit. It was a disaster. So like, <laughs> like does Boz hmm. Lerman like love Star Trek or something? Cause there's a lot of Star Trek in this. And I thought that was awesome. But I'm that's a little side note. Google I, search and I find noticed here. Yeah, <laughs> that was just something I noticed. I was, I was like, uh, "Oh, that's interesting." Um, a lot of Star Trek in this, but and, and if anyone has ever been to the Star Trek the Experience, I mean, it's no longer there, but that was pretty freaking awesome. If you guys have ever seen that, uh, one of the oh, reasons why I would go to Vegas. So I know Don, you had said that with those establishing shots of the. Uh, not the marquee, but the sign, um, the uh, hotel sign yeah. outside that it's like that could have like taken back. I understand where, you know, I can, I can somewhat agree with that, but I think the fact that, I don't know, I feel like they just kept repeating that and repeating that. It's just did. Um, to, sh to show that it's like, it's five years. He spent five years of his life yeah. for the amount of money that he did. And it's like at the end when they're like, yeah, and, and for the folks, or I feel like there was a sign that like the last one that's like, you know, for, um, for the, um, not the grandparents, but it was just one of those things like he, him being so young and it's like, and mm -hmm. for, you know, you, um, granddads, um, grandma and granddads are there. We've got Elvis. It's like, he was only 40 when that would have happened. Yeah. Like, Oh my God, like, what are you guys doing? And I was, <sighs> what is it? I was telling somebody yesterday, like when they talked about, how the deal that they made for him to be there was $5 million for five years. And someone mm -hmm. was trying to justify it. It's like, well, you know, at that time, that was a lot of money. It's a million mm -hmm. dollar a year. You saw the performance that he did. 
that is not it's not what was he doing that like every week or every night Uh, i think it was six weeks right it was just a six-week residency each year yeah yeah because i think the only reason why he never went international was because of the fake colonel didn't have a passport or whatever yeah but i think it was only like six weeks like uh the residency i don't think he was doing that for five straight years Oh, no, he um, was doing that for five straight years. No, yeah, I know he yeah. was doing it for five years, but I don't know if he was doing it 52 weeks a year for five years. Uh, I feel like it would, would have been more of like a six-week engagement kind of thing. But I don't know. I, I thought they mentioned I think I got the data weeks, here. Um, Elvis played a string of 636 concerts in Las Vegas. There you so go. divide oh. that by... Um, he did... Um, Five years ago, Elvis was beginning uh, two shows a night, yep. seven days a week. Damn. Wow. Yeah. That's for a million Vegas residencies. A Vegas residencies don't do that. They're what, two times a week? You know, Saturday, Sunday showing oh, show sure. the rest of the week. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. That's well, that's, I mean, there's 365 days in a year. So mm-hmm. whatever that is times five, six hundred and thirty-six shows. He had breaks somewhere in there. Yeah, breaks, but, yeah, yeah, somewhere so in there. He, but he still a lot. That would have been like a hundred and what, twenty shows a year for a sure. million dollars a year for that. That still mm-hmm. is a ton. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, but I back, mean but it's true. Back then Broadway, that's a on lot Broadway they do on Broadway they do eight shows a week, you know, for thirty mm-hmm. something weeks. Um I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not trying to defend yeah. the contract because it reminds me of like when Magic Johnson signed a 25 million dollar contract for the Lakers. 25 million, 25 year contract with the Lakers. Yeah, and it was for like Bobby one million Benilla a year for Magic for Johnson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's kind of like money. I mean, I, I don't know. I it it was a lot of money back then, and but no, in terms of cultural impact, and then the fact that he was being hosed by the Colonel because he had his debts, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it makes it sound worse. And they do a great job of um, making that place. Cause you know, like when you think of like a really cool suite in Vegas, you're like, yeah, that must be great. But they really make it feel like a prison. Like, yeah. After yeah. A while. like they do a great you job. Really feel that tension. Of like, oh my god, yeah, sure, he's at the top of the building. He gets a whole floor to himself, but holy shit, like this feels like <laughs> this feels like hell. Yeah. You know? The dark interiors, so, the windows that just lead to nowhere. Yeah, it's it's rough up there. Mm, well done. Mm-hmm. One one of the things I thought was somewhat comical uh, when Elvis finally, you know, had the nerve to fire uh, Parker, and um, he. Parker goes to his assistant and is like, okay, <laughs> write this down. 1955, $10 for coasters. Well, 19, yeah. It's like, and I'm like, let me get this straight. Uh, you can automatically off the top of your head, start doing numbers to equal oh, $8 he, million. No, no, he, he, had, it, his little he book. had it written down. He had a little yeah. book. I, he probably had been plan. I mean, he probably had a plan like this for, all of his deals, like that yeah. was his way to catch up. He just didn't think he'd ride that train for what at that point. I'm not sure how much time goes years. by, but we're looking at probably over 20 years, right? I mean, yeah, he seems like four to 42, yeah. at least 15. Yeah, yeah, he seems like the petty, 
like guy that would do that. I mean, he is a carnival huckster. I mean, he is the snowman. That was his whole point was it's kind of like one of those things where you're like, oh, that's really cool that he can do this in a carnival setting. But then when you realize yeah. he can do it to you, you're like, oh, shit, that's not good. <laughs> so I mm-hmm. also thought, I mean, again, with the accent, because I mean, like I said, I feel like I know a few things about Elvis. I knew nothing about Colonel Tom Parker. But I thought it was very interesting that, you know, so soon after, and when I say soon, this is 10 years, 10 years, a little bit more after World War II that, I mean, we don't know for sure where Parker's from. I mean, he's from the accent. It sounds like it's definitely Eastern European, like Austrian or something like that. But the fact that no one in the South questioned that or, you know, well, this guy knows what he's doing. Like he can count. Um, it just was a little bit like, really, you guys are that not, I don't know. I'm not saying it's, um, I just was very surprised like that you didn't have anybody even from like the mafia kind of questioning like the, you know, why this guy was coming from. Yeah. And it's like, it's, I mean, his name's not Colonel Tom Parker. Like I was not expecting any of that. Like it was very interesting to me. Also the fact that you know you have and i mean and this is a way to manipulate that too to have his dad be in charge of um be his financial manager it's like Mm -hmm. oh the guy who bounced a check and went to jail for it that's that's very smart (laughs) yeah no he he helped the governor of louisiana get elected in the in the late 30s got an honorary rank of colonel from the louisiana state militia helping out and honestly when you can do that and be a white male, no one in the South is going to bat an eye. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did you, yeah, I mean, Andreas speaking of Cornelis that character, and, yeah. Uh, speaking of that character, what, I mean, I mentioned in my five minutes that like, it reminds me of the Hoffa performance where I'm not sure if it's awful or great and I'm, I'm down for it. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, I mean, I think, yeah. Is this I a think great a, performance or a bad performance or middle? Like, what is it? Um, it's it's a thankless part. Let's just say, I'll say it like that. It's a thankless part that Hanks has to do and come in and be, you know, be the dirty villain. Um, it's, I, because of the, like, I saw some archival footage today of what Cardinal Tom Parker really sounded like and acted like. And other than mm-hmm. fashion and some portliness, the, he Tom Hanks is overacting, and it's weird to say that Tom Hanks, of all people, is overacting, wow. but he's overacting, and I'm gonna call it a bad part. Hmm. That's the tough part, is because I, yeah, I find it so hard to say Tom Hanks is bad in something. <laughs> it's just, I know. It's so, it seems so impossible to say, but I, I'm not sure. I'm still on the fence. I don't know if it's hilariously awful or. A work of genius i cannot tell and i don't know if i'll ever know if it is <laughs> <laughs> so. well you got my vote Katie, what do you I, think? I well i mean you know as i said it's it's very jarring when you don't know that's what he's supposed to sound like and it's like what um why is he you know he's got why is he i mean i don't know it's it seems like everyone's talking like tommy wiseau these days and it's like i don't understand (laughs) what's going on and that was a little confusing to me but then i mean the movie's so long 40 minutes in i just kind of got used to it but i think this is a better performance that he did than he did in the circle 
So uh, um, at least he stuck with his guns. I mean, he was, yeah. this was filmed when he had COVID in Australia. I love that Lorman, uh, you know, there's a number of character actors, Australian character actors that are peppered in throughout the film that it's like, mm-hmm. oh, look at that guy. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at yep. her. Oh, look at that. That's nice to see them in there. Um, true. Very true. But, yeah, there's um, the, the guy who played the dad is like in a ton of stuff. Richard, Richard Roxbury. Like, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I remember just being like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. He's like in everything. Like he's in so mm-hmm. much stuff. Bad and good. He's in a lot of stuff. But yeah. But I mean, you know, Austin Butler being the California boy that he is with that beautiful blonde hair and whatnot. I mean, he he plays Tennessee very, very well. Like I got to say, like it wasn't, I, I mean, that is the thing I, you know, now that I think about it, maybe I could see him nominated. I mean, again, I don't think he did a caricature. I think he really embodied him and looking, I totally did not realize that he was Tex Watson in once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah, me neither. Like, I, 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 did we say he is Australian? Because one thing is telling me I'm seeing Australian. Anaheim. I was wrong on that one. He's a California kid. Yeah, Katie's right. He is a California oh. boy. But still, but I he, mean, yeah, it's. I mean, you have. It is. It is dangerous to, um, do a character that, you know, not a character, but a person who has a. Like we, I think we've talked about this on another episode. It's like, you know, Shatner is well, not as exaggerated as he is. But when you think of Shatner, you think of the pauses and the yeah. like. When you think of Elvis, you think of the, you know, oh, like yeah. like there's nuance there. Well, right, exactly. I'll give you an example. I think, I think yeah, I'll give you an example right from his co-star. Tom Hanks doesn't sound anything like Fred Rogers. But other than warm and cuddly okay. mannerisms, Fred Rogers has a very high voice, and Tom Hanks is California cool and sounded nothing like Fred Rogers. But you know, you haven't seen that movie right yet, and that's not the point. I, yeah, I know, but, but you're asking for tuning or not tuning or trying or not trying. And Hanks kind of, at least for that role, said, you know what? I'm just going to be me. I'm going to exude what I can exude, not going to worry about the little things. Whereas you, you have Butler. I think worrying about the little things, getting the draw, getting the moves, getting the other things right. And then the big things come as they go, you know, whereas, and here we are talking about Colonel Tom Parker, where now we have Tom Hanks to me overplaying the hell out of it. So weird that we go there. You you do have a, that is one of your nitpicks too. I know. I noticed that like I was, when we did um, uh, being the Ricardos, like, I liked oh, yeah. Desi Javier Bardem's. I liked Javier Bardem's spirit of the person. Yeah, yeah. But you want you want a little bit more accuracy, is what I, I'm it would, like. It I've would, always noticed that about you. If you're going to be an actor and try, please do. You know, take look at Philip Seymour Hoffman as Capote. Like he he brings that voice to another place, and it doesn't feel like character because you hear Capote. You know, you right. people who Will right. Smith did a did that lispy thing that goes with uh. You know, Venus Williams's father, and when you see Venus Williams' father in Arcala interview, Smith nailed it. We people are like, oh, what's he trying to do there? He's trying to do the character, and I, yeah, accuracy. Right. We've come to a point of this much research, this much training, and this much available talent. Where, yeah, I, I kind of would like to have accuracy. So, 
you're going to go that far. We're going to honor you this much. Have it. So, yeah, that's me. I, I admit. agree. Stump. Yeah, no, no. no I, 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 sorry. I, 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 sorry. Well, I agree with Don. Like when I watch a movie and someone's portraying someone in real life where you can hear their voice, see them, all this stuff. I went to see them playing that person they're supposed to be playing and mm -hmm. not me thinking, oh, that's Austin Butler playing Elvis. I went to look at that and like, that is Elvis. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's a good point regarding the way Tom Hanks did Fred Rogers. And I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Capote, the voice was spot on. I mean, you have yeah. Toby Jones who played yeah. that, who played Capote. The next, I mean, they were filming at the same time, but then the right. studio put Toby Jones the next year and Toby Jones looks like Capote. I mean, mm -hmm. it's he looks like him. He sounds like him. It sucks. Like there was no chance of him getting noticed for that. But yeah, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman, like the mannerisms besides the way that he looked, you know, he did the hair, but the voice, everything that was Capote. That was the first the thing. of two times to Toby Jones would get robbed of something because um, he also plays a great Hitchcock. Yes, and Anthony, right. Anthony Hopkins oh, good. got yes. the big bill for that one. Like, to, poor Toby Jones, man. Like, he's a great see, actor, doesn't get the props. See, that's the thing. To me, that separates the men from the boys, so to speak, in terms of the best of the best biopic actors and the ones that are just, you know, they, they do their best. They kind of let their stature do their thing and stand for what they can stand for. But, like, and Hopkins is a great example. Like, to me, Hop, like, Hopkins didn't play a very good Nixon. I don't think he played a very good Hitchcock, like, but he kind of just expected, we all just kind of go, well, it's Anthony Hopkins, you know, and that's me talking about Hanks. Oh, well, it's Tom Hanks. We can let it slide. And I'm like, no, like, give me Chadwick Boseman no. doing James Brown. Give me people who are going, and then you don't, you can do all that without being a method monster, like Christian Bale, you know, like it, it can be oh, done. And because it can be done, I, that's what I'm looking for, you know? <laughs> He's the only one I can stand doing the. I hate method acting, but he's the only one I can stand doing it. I don't know why I give him. I a agree pass. because he. I don't know why. Look, I don't look know what why. He does with I hate it. everybody else. Yeah, but look what he does with I, it. Like yeah. he gets the most out of it. Well, it, you know, and I'm going to sidetrack here, but like I was actually, for whatever reason, just popped up on my YouTube. Like the stories you hear about him, it, there's limits. Like yeah, Matt Damon was talking knows. about how, yeah. like, no, no, he says that he's not because he knows that like what, what Matt Damon said was, is I guess Matt Damon knew has known Christian Bale's wife longer than he's known Christian Bale. Okay. So if, yes. like they're, if, if they're like in between scenes, he'll ask like how his kids are doing and Christian Bale will use like the accent he's supposed to use for the character, mm -hmm. but he's not going to be like, who the fuck is that? I don't know who that is. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm this character. I'm not Christian. But like, he doesn't do that stuff. And he also, he also says that he knows that like, you know, you have a call sheet. You're there at 7. AM. Like he, he has limits. So I, I think a lot of the stories yeah. are overblown about his method. It's acting. probably but the yes, old Terminator salvation but, rant that we all get, you know, Oh, good for you. Like all, probably all that is coloring him badly. And I get it. That's my fault there. No, no, absolutely. But, but in terms of like someone who's like going to kill themselves for a role, I, I don't know why I give him a pass. A I just think stuff. he's so yeah. damn good. I, I'm a, but everyone else that method acts, I don't like. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, well, 
It's interesting that you talk about um, method acting and then talk about Matt Damon. Cause look at what happened to Matt Damon during courage under fire. Like yeah. he yeah. screwed up his kidneys because he didn't have a nutritionist. He didn't have and he wanted to look that emaciated uh, being a heroin addict. And then nothing happened. I remember um, Matt Damon talking about that and saying, that's like, you know what, honestly, after that I was done. I didn't want to do anything anymore. Cause like what, that was a waste of time. And Denzel Washington mm -hmm. convinced him. It's like, you are talented. You are work, you know, like keep doing this, you know, just make sure the studio or somebody does this with you properly because yeah. he, he oh, would yeah. run 20 miles every day and then eat skinless, um, like, uh, chicken that, uh, grilled chicken. And that was it. And he lost all that weight to look that emaciated. It's like, See, that's not the way to do it because he, like I said, he, like, I think he told, he said in something that he permanently damaged his kidneys because of that role. Oh yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. Russell Crowe has said it, you know, after a while he's just like, yeah, don't gain weight for a role. Don't lose weight for a role. After a while yeah. you can't recover. Like yeah. Yeah. I still to this day do not know how Viggo Mortensen at his age Right. Put on all that weight for Green Book and then showed up at the Oscars that year and looked like svelte, sexy Vigo boards. I'm like, good, how good did you yeah. do that? Like, how could you possibly do that without causing major, like, heart mm -hmm. conditions? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't get it. But, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how we got on to method acting, but I, I, you went against Christian Bale and that's the one I give a pass to. I will grant pass. The, accuracy of like um getting into the characters and stuff like that yeah. i mean look it's not like it's not like tom hanks put on like 80 pounds to play right. tom parker oh, yeah. he put on a fat suit he put on a he fat, put on suit. A fat suit he put on yeah. a fat suit well he's uh, the guy I, I heard I mean, himself I, too I, doing castaway you know so he's done it well i i love yeah. I, the the interesting thing about castaway which i find really interesting because i always tell this fact because he when they were making castaway they were making the beginning they mm -hmm. said to Tom Hanks, okay, we want you to be like a middle-aged married dude. So yeah. go to party, you know, go, go to, go to dinner parties, eat as much as you want. You're not looking after your weight. And that's why he's very chunky in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then he, but he got so big that he, they needed to take 10 months off for him to lose all the weight. So they made, they took yeah. the entire crew from Castaway and made something lies beneath while yeah, he lost the weight yeah. and then brought the, and then and then brought him back to do the thin scenes but yeah i mean his transformation of that is like insane but I, you got to get to a point where like it's like i mean i, I don't do think you're Christian, Olivier I think Christian Bale's getting to that age yeah just act my boy just act mm -hmm. my boy but I, it, it's got to get to a point where it's gonna i mean it's i mean it killed heath ledger so i mean i think that like because you think about like Christian Bale going from the machinist where he's uh -huh. like hundred pounds and he's like dying. Then he's bulked up for Batman. Then he's fat mm -hmm. for vice. Then mm -hmm. he's back to being you know, like all this body. The fighter, like you gotta you got think low, gonna the fighter. Yeah. He, he went up and down. You got to figure that's going to mess with your body, but I just don't see him doing that anymore. I don't see, I think post well, how Ledger, I mean, has there been, Anybody that's done that, like that commitment to that level post Heath Ledger? I, I just um, saw um I just saw Ben Foster 
do a Holocaust post Holocaust movie where he plays um, um a boxer, a, boxer. a famous boxer of some kind. I forget. I don't know the name of the movie. Aaron White saw this movie. I, I oh yeah, I saw that. But like, I don't know. Yeah, there's I, like scenes it, where yeah, it was on HBO or something. Yeah, but Foster plays the bulked up boxer where they must have did the same mm-hmm. thing with shooting, where he did all the big stuff first and then lost a ton of weight to look emaciated for the, you know, the the concentration camp scenes. And it's and Ben Foster being a, you know, a twitchy, weird son of a bitch that he is, I can wouldn't put it past him. And I remember he also lost a ton of weight playing uh, Lance Armstrong a few years ago when he did the program. So he's he's a crazy son of a bitch who would do some of that thing, but obviously not an A-list star. Yeah. So. Yeah, there are people yeah, who will. When Jared Leto, always will be. Remember when? Remember when Jared Leto gained all that weight for that terrible John Lennon assassination movie, <laughs> and then oh, man, yeah. no one saw it and no one gave him any respect for it, and he was like, "Well, I'm never doing that again." Mm-hmm. Was um, it Chapter 18 or something? Yeah, something like that. Where he, I mean, he gained like an insane amount of weight. I mean, compared to what he looks like now, you know. Yeah. Um, and then it was all for naught, <laughs> you know. So, anyways. <laughs> yeah. Well, to not Method drift. Acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, closing <laughs> thoughts on Elvis. Where, where we, where do we stand? Where, where does it go from here? I haven't seen box I've Elvis numbers. Seen... I'm curious this weekend tomorrow when numbers come out. Recording this on Saturday, so. Yeah, this is this is going to be interesting. I think Elvis will do. I don't know. I think it's going to do well at the bo- box office. Uh, well, yeah. I think Elvis is going to do well at the box office. I think it's uh, beautiful. I think, again, the production design and costuming is just top-notch and Oscar-worthy. But I think the main thing with this film is Austin Butler. Without Austin Butler, this Mm -hmm. movie would not be what it is. And I think if you're going to go see it, see it for him and those performances because he's just mesmerizing. To answer your question, yeah, box you got office. some this estimates here. This is okay. from Deadline. This is their this is their estimates as we speak right now. It looks like Elvis and Top Gun are still fighting for the top spot. It says here, uh, Top Gun might be going for a fifth weekend of thirty plus million. Wow! But it says that um, Elvis is heading toward an estimated thirty one point five million dollar opening, which would be the top of the week. Um, previous or future episode black phone is expected to open in fourth, but not bad. It, it had made 10.2 million on Friday looking to make about 23.2. Um, okay. and then Jurassic world is still probably going to be third with 26.1. So Elvis wow, will probably top the box office. Lightyear is okay. in fifth, making another like 22 million or something, but that's oh, the expectations from deadline. But, uh, Elvis, expected to top the box office wow so okay yeah uh, in terms of my final thoughts uh very interesting soundtrack to this movie at uh, one yeah. that i found on spotify that i'm interested to listen to because i like one thing i did not like about moulin rouge that i liked here was that blending of uh current music with older music um it rubbed me the wrong way in Moulin Rouge, but here I, I love the way they kind of mixed like an old Elvis tune with a new hip hop track. And yeah, it, it, it's kind of like a wall of sound, like in the old public enemy sense, it's just a lot of stuff going on, like with the music 
that I found very intriguing. And um, so I, I'm interested to, to listen to these mixes because if you go on Spotify, they have – it's about – let's see. 41 songs from the soundtrack oh, and they're damn. not all Elvis songs, but right. a lot of them are like, they're listed here as like remixes. It'll be Elvis with somebody else. Um, uh, there's one with Chris Isaac, who's one of my all time favorite musicians who owes a lot to Elvis for sure. Oh yes, he um, does. But, oh yeah, uh, he does. Yeah. But um, there's a lot of different mixes in here, so I'm interested to see how that uh, that goes. Also, I was not expecting in the Elvis movie for there to be a Eminem song in the <laughs> credits. That was something that took me a little bit by surprise. Uh, Eminem and CeeLo Green with a song called The King and I. Ew. And I was like, is this really Eminem? Like, I, it, it didn't sound like him, and it was, but... Uh, interested to listen to the soundtrack. Like I said, it's my number four film of the year so far. I mean, I don't plan on because of how big it is. Um, I don't plan on seeing it again in the theater. Uh, I may rewatch it and see if it goes up or down in my esteem, but as it stands right now, my number four of the year. Katie, what do you feel about, uh, closing this out? Oh no! I thought I already did at the beginning. Oh well, son of a gun. Oh well, yeah, she I, did it. She did it first. Didn't yeah, she? I That's thought well, Don. I don't man, think oh, you close. I think it's your turn. Oh um, no! For God. me, um, yeah, I know. Sorry. Uh, no, for me, I think you'll see. <laughs> I think you've got a surefire Oscar contender in a lot of places. I think uh, arts and technical uh, can make some hay from this movie. I think uh, Warner Brothers will push this uh, at the end of the year. They have the clout in the studio to do so. Um, I would not uh, begrudge the movie a bit or feel bad about the movie a bit if it became eventual winners in many of these categories we've been showering with praise tonight between uh, cinematography, production design, costume design, or Boston Butler himself. So um, it's just a matter of the skies of the limit uh, there. How about Best Picture nomination with the expanded field? Do you think it's possible? Ooh, no. Um, I, I think the... The seventy nine percent audience score and the sixty or seventy percent Rotten Tomato score. I mean, lower movies have gotten there, but this isn't all. And I know Elvis has his, you know, uh, Americana demographic not locked down. Like you, you know, the red states are going to love this, even though it's made by the weird Aussie guy. But uh, I don't know if it's got that kind of you know green booky folksy clout. I, I don't think it's got that much because I think at the same time as there are people who love Elvis who are ready for this they're still gonna watch and go that was fucking weird you know so i don't know if it's endearing enough to that crowd which is still I too agree. many voters in hollywood but arts and technical it'll, it'll wipe it away i do i do want to um say that honestly usually with films i mean with this i mean us talking about you know the possible oscars which are nine months away eight months away whatnot mm. Uh, besides films that are normally like at Sundance and South by Southwest and stuff like that, where it's like, okay, this is going to be something. And then it'll come out in November and, you know, get that Oscar contention and whatnot. I got to say 2022 is really, uh, kicking me in the jaw with these films that it's like, I could see this winning awards, like in a year, I could see this winning awards in 10 months, which I don't recall ever happening more. Yeah ever happening before having this many 
that have this many, um, this much Oscar, um, uh, you know, possibilities for uh, the beginning of a year. I don't know I if that's a I new thing or. I, th- I still think it's the COVID effect. I think a lot True. of people, especially like the Top Gun Mavericks and stuff, they were like, you know what? You know, let's just hold off until we can get back in the theater, but still release it early enough that we make some money as opposed to holding it for two years or three years. Yeah. Um, I still think it's a COVID effect. I think a lot of people held on to their best films to release when theaters were open again. Um, but yeah. you know, I think Warner Brothers is too sitting much for a bit. Yeah. There's too much yeah. time. There's too much time. Like, you know, there's going to be certain films that are coming out in November, October, November, December. So you can't release like 17 films during those you know, those three months or yeah. you know, one month. So, so they've had to stretch it out and make it so that it can make some money. But I do think it's a COVID effect. I think they've dumped the stuff they don't want and they have strategically released better stuff that they probably have had on hold for years. Mm-hmm. I mean, Top Gun is a perfect example of that. They, perfect. I mean, I think they, I think, I think it exceeded their expectations of oh, yeah. what they thought it would be, but they were like, yeah, we're just going to wait for a big screen. So if it takes three years, it takes three years, and then it's it's worked out more than they could possibly have probably ever predicted. But yeah, I think some of the stuff we're seeing is just holdovers from COVID. So yeah, in, Maverick, in, in, I don't years. consider. I think is a total blockbuster. I think it's definitely going to be nominated for best song. Maybe some of the cinematography with those aerial shots, but as far as it winning awards for anything other than making the most money of the year, I wouldn't consider yeah. it. That, oh, no, no, no. I mean, yeah. I, I wasn't yeah. saying that. I was, I was saying more that I was saying more that like holding on to films that are succeeding. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. Elvis is, is probably going to do very well based on that first projection. I, Maverick has done exceptionally well by holding on to it. I think everything everywhere all at once, you know, they, they release that perfectly. I think it, I'm just more talking about the release of a good movie being held from COVID, not like necessarily Oscar contenders, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, crazy. I was talking like, yeah, because I was saying that I just feel like there's just been so many movies in the past six months that I feel like are actual Oscar contenders that I oh, don't I see, recall. I yeah, yeah, I don't. I just don't recall this many possible Oscar contenders in the first half of a year. Um, because I mean, the last time I remember something that ended up being in the Oscars that was released before, uh, before like. I think August was in 2017 when Get Out was released in yeah. February. February, and then yeah. it went yeah. on to do all that stuff. And now it's like you've got the Batman, everything, ever, everything, everywhere, all at once. Elvis, possibly the Northman, like a number of contenders. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, damn, 22, you were really trying to impress us like early on. So this is, I think, that's a good thing. I'd rather have these like exceptional films that you keep that momentum going for the full year rather than d- yeah. dump them all in December. So they get that. It's like, all right, this is the last time. Here we go. Here are your screener, you know, vote, 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 vote. And it's like, you just keep that feeling going and yeah, we'll yeah. see how Elvis ends up um, doing that. Cause I mean, they, like I said, they've got nine months before the awards come out. But you're not talking about just best pictures. You're talking about overall Oscars, like technical acting, I see it best more there than screenplay, all yeah. that. Yeah. I think from a best picture had, standpoint, Top Gun's got a better chance than Elvis just because of like the Spider-Man sure. far from home popularity effect. 
and universal yeah. praise. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. Well, let's say, I mean, I think, I mean, with the, that aerial uh, videography, it was just some, it's just mm-hmm. some, uh, that's some camera work that I've just never seen before. Like that is yeah. truly impressive. Yeah. So if yeah. they, even if, I don't even know if they, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if they, that I could definitely see being nominated. And I, de- I mean, I think it's a shoe in for best song right now. Uh, if anything, but color me unimpressed. Will get best actor. Yeah, but in a, in a, in a lean no, year, I actually see one of those songs. You know, I see Tom Cruise getting a push for best actor. Actually, I think depends in the studio. Be interesting to see. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think I think they're gonna push it. I think they're gonna push it. Um, as for me, uh, color me the song unim- unimpressed. I, I was not like drawn into it. Uh, yeah, but like I was like, it's oh, Lady Gaga. It. It's Lady Gaga. You know. It. Yeah, but that well, you that's know, who's probably of... going to try to get it again is Taylor Swift. She's going to, I mean, she has been trying to write an Oscar song for years, and she's got another is one she... that they're promoting right now for the Crawdad Sing or whatever the hell. That oh, movie right, is. right. And she's acting in a like, film in November too. So yeah, she's going to be like Diane Warren. She's going to have like an Oscar nomination every year because she's going to pump out that she wants an Oscar, and I'm sure she wants it now that Billie Eilish that's got one too. Billie that... Eilish, Lady Gaga, <laughs> you. you there's keeping up with the Joneses. She wants, there, she, the she, she wants an Oscar. No. She is Oscar chasing. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see uh, where Sam, that goes. Sam Smith, all these guys. But yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I didn't like the song, but we're talking about Top Gun. Let's move on. Let's, let's close this right. puppy out. <laughs> close this puppy out. Will. Katie, thanks again for right. coming on. Always a pleasure. Oh, Katie, where can we find you, please? Um, we want to, we want to follow you and watch your videos and fax you things and, you know, beep you on your beeper. What, where can we reach you at? Yes. Well, you hunk, hunk of burning loves can find me um, at my MySpace. No, uh, on <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the blonde in front. T-H-E-B-L-O-N-D-E-I-N-F-R-O-N-T. Uh, and you can also find me occasionally at Radio of Horror in the blonde in front of fear. And then um, every once in a while, I'm on Banana Meter, and I'm very happy to be um, a member of Chicago Indie Critics. Nice. Awesome. Well, people, check that out. Also, follow us on Twitter. That was an awkward segue. Sorry. Follow us on Twitter <laughs> at CinephileFit and on Facebook at CinephileHissyFitPodcast. Also, find us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, the new Banana Meter, and have become charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America group. If you enjoyed this show, Ruminations Radio Network has more where that came from with wonderful programs and interesting hosts. Our show and others are available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcast, Cinephile Hissy Fit has left the building. 